Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, we're really glad that you're here to, to worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, last week, we started a new series called uh, Hometowns, and we were talking about the need that we all have to have a place that we can call home and, and belong to. And we're using the, the word picture of a hometown to kind of speak to this place that we all would like to, to be and end up where we can kind of be known by a group of people and know them and, and, and do life together. And some of the time that the picture can get lost depending on your experience of your own hometown. Uh, so how many here this morning would say like you love your hometown, like where you grew up, like you have an immense amount of pride? All right. Just yell out. What are some of those places? Just name. What's the city? San Diego. Okay. Chicago. You're feeling really good right now. Too soon. Too soon. Seattle. Now everyone's shy, right? What was it? Austin. Okay. Anyone grew up here? Where are you guys at? Right. Some of you, some of you grew up here, depending on where you grew up, it could be here. It could be somewhere else. You could have this really sense of like hometown pride, like you love where you grew up. It has defined a lot of who you are. Or you could be the person that like you couldn't wait to get out of there. Anyone just wanting to show those hands. OK, we have. All right. Way to represent. I won't ask you what city because we don't want to hurt their tourism board. OK, but uh, we, we can be on two sides of the spectrum. We, we love where we're from. Or we couldn't get, wait to get out of where we're from. Uh, but the picture of this hometown is not speaking of a geographic location, but really the need that we all have, like this picture, to find this place where we can belong and we can experience a community. And that's what we're talking about in this series, the importance of community and how we can experience it. And it's something that you actually find in the church because that is what God has designed the church to be, a group of people that come together to create a place where people can belong. And last week we kicked off the series talking about the reason we long to be a part of a hometown, a place where we can belong, is because God actually built that in us. He built community into us because we're made in his image because that's who he is. He's a God that's not isolated, but he actually within himself has community in the three persons of the Godhead. But also he created man and woman to have a relationship with them. And so when we belong and are connected to a group of people, this isn't just an idea that, that we came up with ourselves. It actually represents how we were made. And so we're talking in this series, the importance of connecting to a group of people and how to live in a way that enables us to actually experience community, not the idea of it, but in a real sense. And so this week we're talking about uh, the city limits of the hometown. In any hometown, you have the boundary of the city, the city limits, uh, which you're in the city when you're there and you see the sign that says city limits. And then you leave the city and it has a sign like, please visit us soon, you know, or come back. Can't wait to see you from the south. Like there's a saying and I just forgot what it was. Y'all come back now. Thank you. Y'all come back now. You hear? It's this idea of like you're leaving our city, but, but come back. There's actually city limits that God has put in place for the church. 
And it's not, again, a, a location where you're in the church when you're in the building and you're out of the church when you've left. But there's just a way that we're supposed to relate that defines who we are. And what makes a hometown a hometown is much more than just the ge- geography. But how does that hometown uh, treat each other? And what's the hometown about and what's important? That's really what makes a community a community. The experiences people have. And that's actually what God has designed the church to be. A place where people can experience God in the lives of others and it changes life. And it happens as you begin to live life God's way. He changes your life from the inside out. And then as you get around other people that are living life God's way, it changes your relationships. It changes really your goals and priorities. And so there's just this picture of this community that God wants us to experience. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. How is that defined and, and what does that look like? And this is really talking about a hometown and a community in the spiritual sense. And actually, that is of far more importance than where our address is. Uh, what we are a part of spiritually and the family that God wants to experience spiritually is much more important than, than our own neighborhood. Because this has not just an experience for this life, but it actually connects to the next life as well. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about uh, today. And so I want to spend a lot of time today talking from the, the book of First Peter uh, in the scriptures. And you can look here on the screen. And as you know, we meet in the cafeteria. If you didn't realize that, we do. And if you're in one of the, the seats where you look and you all you can see is a pole, you can feel free to move any time. And so if you realize you've got a bad seat and you can't see the screen, feel free to get up. Everyone understands we're all on the same page. Get a better seat. And so you'll want to look up here and you can follow along. If you have your Bible, you can you can look at that as well. But the, the hometown that that God has designed the community of the church to exist actually is is made of people, according to the scriptures, who have been born again into God's family. So the church is filled with people that are part of this new life and a part of being a part of God's family. And there's this phrase born again that I want to talk about because it defines our hometown as the church. It defines our community. And Peter, who wrote first Peter, is describing this awesome opportunity that we have once you commit your life to follow Christ, how you now are a part of a new spiritual family. And so a big point of him writing this letter is to encourage these new Christians in the faith as they have decided to follow Christ to realize how awesome of an opportunity they have to be a part of a Christian family, one that is put together by God himself. And so he writes to them with this, like, know your identity, know who you're a part of. And and this is what he says. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he's talking about Christians, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so he begins this idea of we get to be a part for all those who follow Christ of a new family. And just like any family, like our physical family, the biological family that we were born into, it shapes our identity. You are a little bit like your mom and you're a little bit like your dad. Your siblings are kind of like each other. 
And that represents your family. What Peter is saying is, is when you commit your life to follow Christ, you become a part of a new family, a spiritual family. And that comes by being born again. And Peter is not the first person to describe this picture of following Christ means new family. But just like the family unit is really your first sense of community, he's connecting that family is where you experience community. And for the Christian, the spiritual family, that becomes a part of this new community that that you get to be a part of. And you get to not only experience, but you can help build. And so he's encouraging them, saying, thank God that we get to be a part of something new that God has built through all those who follow Christ. So it starts with just thanking God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes and he he spends some time talking about it's the mercy of God that has allowed us to be a part of this new family. So for all those who follow Christ, we're actually no better than those who have yet to follow Christ. We have the same sin problem. But a Christian is somebody who recognizes that we messed up and we've been independent from God and we've gone our own way. But because of God's mercy, he's allowed us to start over. He's allowed us to switch the road of independence that we were going on and actually experience new life through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. And so when Peter's uh, mentioning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's saying he resurrected from the dead. The dead represents our sin. And so the new life that Jesus showed as he rose from the dead is the new life that we can have into the new family connected through God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying that this this experience, this being born again, there is nothing better. Now, if you're new to, to Christianity or you've just kind of new around the church, this phrase being born again, it kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? And in fact, when this was first used, Jesus was the first person to really speak of this idea of a Christian, a follower of Christ must be born again. And Peter, he's one of the disciples. He really grew in his faith and saw Jesus directly doing ministry. And so he learned what it meant to follow Christ by actually following Christ directly in the flesh. And he knew this description of being born again. And Jesus spoke to this to a man called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus wanted to know, what does it mean to be a part of this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that God has established? Like, how does that happen? How do you actually experience eternal life? And how do you follow God despite all the things that that we've done? And Jesus says, well, for that to happen, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, like all of us, you hear that phrase And it sounds kind of strange. And so Nicodemus asked Jesus, so to follow you, like we have to go back into the womb and be born again. Now, Christianity can be weird to a lot of people, but to Nicodemus, he's deciding like this is a bunch of craziness. How can you be born again like that can't happen? But he's thinking on the biological sense. And Jesus is saying, no, that that's not how you're born again. It's not physical it's not biological. I'm talking about spiritually. You can be born again because of your sin. You're dead spiritually. You're dead. You've been cut off from the from God because of your sin. But through Jesus Christ, you can be born again. That which is dead because of sin can come back to life. And he describes that to Nicodemus in John three sixteen and 17. And this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved 
through him. So what Jesus is describing is I have come so that all who are dead, all who are isolated and cut off because of their sin, they can be born again. And the way that they're born again is by believing and following me, Jesus. And when you believe and you follow Jesus and you decide that he is going to be your boss and your authority, he's going to set the standard for the life that you're going to live and your priorities and your agenda. When you do that, your new life begins. And that's when you become a Christian, when you decide you have been doing life your own way. You've been trying to kind of pull all the dots and connect them and create this picture for your life. And you realize like it's fuzzy. You don't have clarity. When you get to the point where you realize you need Jesus to fix your sin problem and to fix your identity problem. And you turn to him and you surrender your life. You actually can be born again. That's a promise. So Peter is going back to this teaching of Jesus that he has seen. And he's saying we get to be a part of this new family. The reason I bring this up is this is why the church and the community of Christians, when they gather together, it's supposed to be life giving because it's a bunch of people that were dead in their sin and frustrated by trying to do life their own way. And then they got a new lease on life. They went from a dead end in their life to experiencing this newness of life through Jesus Christ. And so Christians should have a hope that no one else has. No other religion has. No other person that's trying to do life their own way has. It only comes through Jesus Christ who conquered death. And the only one who conquered death is the only one who can give life. So when you experience this life, you get to be a part of this spiritual family. And it goes back to what he said in verse 3. We now have been given this eternal life and it comes from following Jesus Christ. And so everyone who is made of the community of the church is for those people who have have followed Christ. But it's supposed to be built by followers of Christ in a way that as people who are trying to investigate what it means to be a Christian, for those people that are frustrated and just feel overwhelmed by life, they're supposed to come into the community of the church and see that there's something different. So this isn't just this closed community where we just like, you're not from here. You need to keep going. But in fact, we want people to come into this hometown of the church, experience it and want to actually choose to put their roots down to stay, to make this hometown their hometown. And so it's not actually this closed community. It's supposed to be this open community that for all those who want to find the truth and find life, they can experience it through what they see. And they can experience it by watching the people around them in the church. And the reason that's important is when you become a Christian, you have a new identity and you have new desires. And Peter talks about that. So he didn't just explain to new Christians that you are born again. He actually painted the picture of what does that look like? And I want to kind of spend some time fast forward in first Peter and, and, and talk about that as well. So our new birth being born again spiritually It brings this new identity and it brings new desires. Again, our family shapes, our biological family shapes a lot of who we are. Now, if you're, you know, a parent and you may be new to parenting, have have you ever parented in a way that you heard something you said and you thought immediately, I sound just like my mom or I sound just like my dad? Have you ever experienced that? Nothing will freak you out more than the first time that happens. 
And I've experienced that myself. I'll say something and all of a sudden I flash back to like my dad saying that to me. And I think it has happened. I have become my dad. And it's this crazy experience and it's because they were a part of my identity. I'm connected to them. They have raised me. I am like my mom. I'm like my dad for better or for worse. That's who I am. And you are the same way. Whoever raised you, you hold a part of their identity. And what Peter is saying is the same is true spiritually. If you're a Christian and you are born again, you now have an opportunity to have a new identity and new desires. And just like in family life, it's something that you actually have to learn. Just like parents try to teach their kids, this is what you're supposed to do. This is not what you're supposed to do. A Christian is someone that's always constantly trying to figure out if I've been born into a new family, I have a new spiritual father and that is God himself. And God as a father is like fathers here on earth where they want to train their kids. They want to teach them. And that's what God does As you do life and you become a Christian. You want to make sure that you're doing what your spiritual father wants you to do. And so Peter is saying, you're born again, but being born again isn't the end. Just like when somebody's born a baby, you can't just say, welcome to this world. I hope it goes well. Right? Babies can't be raised by themselves. And the good news is when you become a part of the new spiritual family and you become a Christian, God doesn't leave you by yourself either. He doesn't neglect or abandon you. He actually wants to teach you and train you. And that happens as you spend time reading the scriptures. It happens as you pray and you talk to him. It happens as you get around other Christians and you see their example. You're learning from your siblings. And they teach you things that they've learned from your same spiritual father. So all this is happening. This is the kind of picture that that Peter's describing. And he he goes on and talks to them about what it means. And he says this in, in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I want to stop there. You can see it's highlighted because there's an emphasis there that you actually have to fight when you become a Christian. And that is you're part of a new family and you have a new identity, but you're going to just want to revert back to your old ways. And spiritually, the sense is that you're still going to struggle with sin and you're going to struggle with selfishness. And you're going to struggle with being independent from God. You want to do your own thing. What Peter's saying is you've been born again, but it is going to be a struggle and it's going to be a fight. But as obedient children, ones that want to please their father, their spiritual father, don't go back to that former way. You're going to mess up. And you're going to do things just like a toddler would do. But don't go back. You have a new identity. It says, but he as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time kind of un- unpacking this. So the first part, you're going to have to to really go against your reflexes in this new life. There's going to be a pull to selfishness. But when you become a Christian, you have to fight against that. And you fight against that by spending time with God and realizing that he wants you to put others in front of you. And you need his help to do it. You're going to fight arrogance, the feeling that I'm better than other people. That's our former way. 
And you fight arrogance by realizing that Jesus himself humbled himself. He did not exalt himself. He humbled himself despite his power, despite his authority. And his example is the example that I can adopt too. Because as he humbled himself, God lifted him up. That's what the scriptures say. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, if you choose arrogance, you will be humbled. So you have to fight for that. And then he goes on and he's talking about this idea of of holy. Now, holy is not a term that that we use much. But he's saying is you are part of something completely different because it's a spiritual family. It's not like any family that you've experienced on this earth. Because your dad is God, your spiritual father is God, and that's who he is. And holiness is this idea of it's set apart. It's different. It has a a different flavor to it. There's some reflexes that are different. And the only way that we can become holy is if we actually choose to follow Jesus every day. As we choose to spend time with him, as we choose to make things important that he says are important, like serving other people, like helping, like giving of ourselves, like sacrificing, we become set apart like he is. And just like kids represent their parents, as we do life God's way and as we obey him, as obedient children, we become to represent him more and more. And so this spiritual connectedness, like people can see that we belong to a different father and it's God himself. And so this, this holiness should define a, a different way and a different identity. And then there's an interesting thing at the end. And he says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so this, this idea of exile is representing this state in which they were living at the time. Like these new Christians felt like they, they didn't belong. They weren't just Jews, just trying to be Jews. They were now like Jewish Christians that are trying to figure out what it means to be Jewish and a Christian. And there was so much confusion and an identity crisis, as, as you could imagine, as it was like this clash of, of culture meets Christianity. And it's the same thing that, that we face here today. We live in a culture that values very different things. And we can have this clash of what's the most important. What should I be giving myself to? What should I kind of decide is the most valuable in this life? What Peter is saying is you have to live life of those who've been born again, who are connected to a spiritual father, like you're in exile, like this earth is not your ultimate home. And so it does not kind of represent the ultimate picture of the complete life. And he's saying that you're not going to just get every single thing you could possibly get in this life. There is a life to come in eternity as you spend with God that will satisfy you like nothing on this earth could ever satisfy you. Now, we get a little bit of the taste of the spiritual family because we're connected to him. And that's why we can be holy and that's why we can obey because we have God's help. But ultimately, we don't live life thinking we have to get the most out of this life or our life's going to be empty. We realize that we're not just living for here and now. There's a life to come for all those who follow Jesus that in that time when you die and if you're a Christian, you will be connected eternity to, eternally to God and everything will, will come together. And he's just saying you, you have to have that that perspective and here on this earth the church is supposed to be this community in a hometown like a colony of heaven it's not heaven 
but it has a little bit of a taste of it. And the community is not cohesive like it will be in heaven where there'll be no problems. We have problems here. And now we have issues that we have to deal with relationally. We have conflict. We all know that it's not perfect. Even Christians that are really trying to obey, they they mess up. We all know that we mess up. I mess up. But it can be a little taste of this colony of heaven. And Peter's saying is living in exile. So people, as they see this community here and now, they're compelled to, to seek something for which it represents. And so this community that God wants to build with Christians for those who follow Christ should be this compelling picture and an experience that that draws people to want to learn more about God himself. And so I want to speak about some characteristics specific to the hometown that that God wants to build. So it's built by those who have been born again with really the idea of we want to have a new identity and new desires that as people interact with us, they want to actually figure out who this spiritual father is. They see something that they want. And that happens as we actually have the characteristics of this kingdom, this kingdom colony that God wants to build here. A little taste of heaven. And so what what does that look like? I'm going to kind of go over some characteristics and by them, there's some scriptures. And these scriptures are, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them, but they'll be helpful to look up. So as I speak of these characteristics, there, there may be this feeling of that's kind of different. Or that, that doesn't really belong. And before I jump in, I, I want to show a clip because Christianity, for those who follow Christ, should have a different flavor and an atmosphere than anything else. OK, but sometimes we have a picture of the difference that looks a little bit like this. I want to show you a clip uh, from the movie Thor. OK. Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? drink. I like it. I know. It's great, right? Another! <coughs> Sorry, Izzy. Little accident. What was that? It was delicious. I want another. Well, you could have just said so. No, I just did. No, I mean, act nicely. I meant no disrespect. All right, well, no more smashing. Deal? Not my wood. Good. Thor looks the same, right? I mean, he he looks human, but he's actually from a different planet. But you start to get the differences when he smashes the cup. And and I kind of like, I mean, that kind of like, I'm not going to try it, but there's, I want another, you know, like, and by him smashing it, he's just where I'm from. That's like, we enjoyed this. But sometimes people think of Christians as being like Thor. Like you just are weird. And you're not really relevant. Now, I didn't say we think Christians look like Thor. Because all of us are like, hey, all the guys are like, I'm in. Right? Right? But we think that that's like, that's what Christians are. They're just, they're not kind of with it. They're a little step behind. And, and the culture actually feeds on that. You know, Christians are, they're not relevant. They're a little out of step with the reality. But the picture there is that we're not supposed to be in a situation and... People experience it like that. But we're also not supposed to belong and have the same exact values. There is going to be a dissonance that exists. And as I speak of these characteristics, 
it actually should have a different flavor than what people are used to. But from it, they shouldn't have an experience of like a smashed cup that destroys. They should have an experience where it, it draws them. So as I describe that, I want you to think this is the picture of what it means to follow Christ. And these are some of the characteristics of people who have been born again. It doesn't happen perfectly, but this is the atmosphere that he wants to build in this community of those who follow him. And so uh, this isn't an exhaustive list. This will just kind of give you a a sense. Uh, One of the key characteristics for those who have been born again, who follow Christ, is grace-filled speech. And that is speech that actually is gracious. That's why it's grace-filled, but that cuts people slack, that actually looks to build people up and not tear them down. Uh, it kind of goes back to your family. If, if you grew up in a sarcastic family, your identity is like, you know, sarcasm. But have you ever been sarcastic with people that aren't sarcastic and they take it as like face value? It gets awkward. And if you were around like a family where you kind of cut each other down and the more they cut you down, the more they liked you. You can be a part of families like that. I kid because I care. Well, thank you for caring so much. Right. We can grow up with that. But grace filled speech is like we're never getting to a point where we're just kind of being nice until we can let people have it. Or being kind until we can just give them a piece of our mind. It's the sense of when we belong to Christ and we walk with him, there's going to be so many things that we say that aren't going to be helpful. But because of Jesus living in us through the Holy Spirit, we, we realize that we can actually make things right if we say things that are that are wrong or that are harsh. But grace-filled speech, we're, we're not looking to cut people down. We, we want to, to build them up. That's a big characteristic. Another one is uh, righteousness. Again, like holiness, we don't use that, that term a lot. But righteousness is we are going to do right before God uh, situation by situation. And part of the characteristic of our hometown is we know that since we're part of a new spiritual family and God is our father, you know how you always kind of have a sense that your parents can just see things? Like when you were growing up, they just kind of knew. Like my mom would have a thing. She'd ask me something and she knew I was lying. And I have no idea to this day how she knew, she knew. But she would ask me something and she'd say, Alex, did you do that? And I would say, yes, mom. And she would say, did you? And right at the second, did you? I knew I was in trouble. Did you? Yes, mom. Did you? And we would just have the stare down. It was always like, no, mom, I didn't. And how did you know? You know, and it was like mom or dad, like they're always watching even when they weren't. But God, he actually he does see everything. And so righteousness is there's never a time in which because God is holy that we can just kind of God, I know you're watching, but in this situation, your way doesn't really work. I just need to vent and let people have it. There's a situation like situation by situation. We, we, we need to do what's right before God and how we handle people and how we handle our responsibilities. He's watching. So we, we want to be righteous. We want to do what's right. We want to please him because as our father, he, he's seeing us and we represent him in his name. And so we want we want to make him happy. And one of those is righteousness. It's it kind of plays out in the kind of people that we are. And to be a righteous person, it means that you are who you say you are. Who you are on the inside matches on the outside. And there's integrity there. That's a part of righteousness. That's like one of our relational values here. It's, it's 
You live an honest, open life before others. You have integrity on the inside and the outside. That's a key aspect of being righteous. That's the kind of community that God wants to build. Grace-filled speech and righteousness. Another one is, is justice. Now, again, if we're kind of connecting this to family life and to the community that we grew up, each family has its own way of dealing with justice. Each town and each city deals with justice its own way as well. And it kind of is different depending on where you live and where you grew up and the family that raised you. But God himself is just. And he actually sets the standard of what justice is. We don't. He does. And he wants us to live justly and to live righteously. But to live justly is we're always going to handle it in a way that that's not only right before God, but it's just before people. And we're going to do it in a way that we're not going to rip people off. We're not going to leverage power to get what we want. Uh, We're going to do justly before people. And that's something that in the community that God wants to build in the church is so important. Because if we always think that people are going to come against us and one-up us, and if we're aiming to do that, this isn't a place where you want to be a part of. When there's no justice, you're not, you're not safe. And relationships don't feel safe. Like, this isn't a place that you want to belong. And so this just justice is, is so important. And another relational value we have here connected to this is, is clearing up relationships. When things get messed up, I don't know how it was in your family, but... In my family, one thing that I kind of learned early on is sometimes you just didn't deal with things. You just kind of picked up the carpet and you brushed it underneath and you just got over it. But that, that wasn't just because the problem never got dealt with. And I don't know how your family was brought up or the community that you lived, how justice was kind of exercised. But here for Christians, when things get messed up, we, we have to clean it up. And when we've done wrong, we have to make it right. We actually have to ask forgiveness. We have to clear up relationships. So clearing up relationships is a part of how justice actually plays itself out. Another characteristic is loving kindness. Again, that could actually sound like Thor would say that. I'm being loving kind as I smash, but it's not a word we use. It kind of sounds like it's from a different planet. But loving kindness is a biblical uh, word that that has action to it. And Proverbs 3 uh, speaks this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This kind of of love is is mixed with, with mercy and kindness. So he wants us to be a community where we cut each other slack. It's kind of related to the grace-filled speech, but this also shows up in our actions and attitudes towards people. So when people, you know, kind of do something and maybe it offended us, the justice is that needs to be made right. There's also a sense if someone's offended us, we can actually choose to be kind and merciful. We can forgive before they've even asked for it. We can cut them slack and be patient with them. That's this kind of sense of, of loving kindness. Uh, another characteristic is, is faithfulness. And that is we, we want to do what we say. And you saw that in that Proverbs 3. It's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's this idea of bind them around your neck. The proverb there is speaking again of this characteristic. When you bind something around your neck, it's, you're adorning it. It's, people see it. So when people come around the community of the church, we want them to experience 
this grace-filled speech. We want them to experience this, this loving kindness. And we want them to experience faithfulness. Do you know it's so much easier to say something than to do something, right? Words, we can say a whole lot of things. Something that we're going to do. Maybe it's to help somebody out. Maybe it's something that, you know, someone's asked us to do and there's a deadline to do it and we've said we do it and we, we've just blown past it. That's easier. Saying it and not doing it is so much harder than actually saying it and following through. But faithfulness is supposed to be a key characteristic of those who have been born again. Doing what you say. And we know if you've ever had a situation where you have not done what you've said and you've been unfaithful, you've seen how it's impacted the relationships. People were counting on you. And vice versa, if someone has said something that they do and they drop the ball, you know how it impacted you. And so this, this idea of, of faithfulness, that's where trust is built. People can be counted on. This morning we, we gathered uh, all the volunteers who serve at Church in the Valley for those who could make it. And we, we talked about the type of volunteers that we want to be. And we had two team leaders that have led and have transitioned off from leading. And what we were speaking to is these kind of characteristics. They, they've been faithful and they've had an attitude of, of love and, and grace. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. Now, as I speak about this, this community, it's again, easy for this to sound like an idea like a mission statement, like every company wants to be like this. But for the church, this isn't just aspirational. We want this to be a real experience that people have. A couple weeks ago, I was in Florida, and this kind of went in my head like humidity, I've always known as an idea. But once you experience it, it's real. The way I knew it is I was climbing stairs, and it was a little harder. And I was like, well, that... There's like less oxygen. I, I mean, I was like, this is, is there like a thick wall? of? And I'm, I'm a California, like, what's humidity? I don't know. But I experienced it. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. You feel like you kind of always need a shower. That's humidity. You feel like you can't breathe. That's humidity. And people call those places their hometowns. <laughs> right? But I experienced it. And so it became real. That's the community in the hometown that we want people to experience. They come and they interact with people and it's real. And I want to end with, we need God's help. Just like Peter said, we can't go back to our lives as in our former ignorance. It's so easy for us to just go back to our reflexes, go back to how we were raised, go back to what we see in the culture, go back to what's natively easier. And these characteristics, these are not native to us. These are now a part of us because for those who follow Christ have been born again. And so wherever you're here this morning, if, if you are a follower of Christ and you've been born again, this is the kind of person that God wants you to be. And this is the kind of community that he wants you to help build. And the way you build it is you live it. The way you build it is you live it. This is the kind of person that God wants you to be. And as you treat people that way, and as you connect to God and you're growing in your faith, you are building this kind of community by living it in your life. If you're not a Christian, God wants you to experience this. He wants you to become born again. That's why he sent Jesus. And so if you've never been born again, and there's a part of you where this is compelling to you. 
you're just at a point where you kind of realize like your, your own experience just doesn't add up to this. I encourage you to consider like it might be time for you to commit your life to follow Jesus. And that's the point in which you come out of your death and your sin and, and you can be raised uh, to new life. And so I encourage you to just think through that. Um, I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to wrap up. And in a moment, we're going to receive our offering and uh, we're going to sing a song back to God. I I just encourage you just to kind of just ask God what what your next step is. And I've suggested some next steps on the back of your connection card. If you finish filling that out, you can drop that in the, the offering as that comes by. And there's just three next steps. The first is it just like I mentioned, it may be time that that you need to consider committing your life to follow Jesus. If you've never done that, I I encourage you to make that decision. Um, If you check that, we're going to send you some more information and we'll follow up with you so you can kind of get a picture of of what that means. Uh, If you're not there or you've already committed your life to follow Christ, it may be that you just need to kind of look a little bit more at those characteristics. And so read those scriptures that I that I didn't read today and then maybe identify is is there one of these characteristics that I need to make more in my life? something I need to choose. Is it grace-filled speech or maybe it's just being faithful with the things that you have on your plate? So as I wrap up, I I encourage you to consider that. And um, we're going to sing back to God uh, and then we'll close out our service. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the new life that we can have as we decide to follow Jesus. And thank you, God, that even now we can build a colony of, of the kind of life that you give us. And it's different than all that we've experienced and grown up with. And God, we do need your help. I know for myself, I, I'm selfish and I rely on myself and I, I just need your help to be gracious in my speech and to be faithful with the things that you've given me and uh, to choose loving kindness And that's the kind of church that we want to be. And so, God, I pray that you'll just identify, just show us if there's anything that that's in us that represents our old life. And uh, God, help us to choose characteristics of the new life. And if there's anyone here that that's just not yet decided to follow you, um, I pray that today that you'll really draw them to yourself. You'll soften their heart and they'll decide to follow you with their life. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.